Good afternoon, Grace Hill. Um, Our reading today is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the, th- seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said this, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words, your words, that provide us hope. Lord, that we are in relationship with a God who created the universe at the beginning, who made atonement for our our sin, paid our penalty, and at the end is going to make all things new. Lord, this week may have been hard for some of us, with tears and pain, sorrow, and, and potentially death. But Lord, as your people, we've been promised that you are creating a place where you, you will be our God, and you will wipe every tear from our eyes. O King, we thank you that you're here with us today. We invite your Holy Spirit to inhabit this dwelling with us. And as we hear the words from Evan this afternoon, Father, would you use those words to speak to our hearts, to bend our will to be in conformity with the character of Jesus Christ and empower us to be obedient to what you've called us to do in light of these promises. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Appreciate that. Good afternoon, Grace Hill. Good to see you guys. Is it good to be seen? It's amazing to be able to really be like near each other. I know we've said this for a couple weeks, even outside, but being inside, it feels even more so. Like you're right here. It's great. It's really, really great. What a gift. Leonard, thank you for opening up the time for me to be able to preach with Revelation chapter 21, which is an incredible, incredible picture we just got painted. And we're going to look at that picture for a little bit today. But before we get in, I would just want us to share, as I was leaving to come to church today, I was telling my kids, I was like, hey, will you pray for daddy? He's getting ready to preach. And you would think my children would be excited at some level but there was like frowns on faces and I was like gosh like what's what's up guys they're like well dad how much screen time will we have since you're gone and I thought man my value as a dad really like just plummeted a little bit like I was known for my kids of being a little bit more generous with screen time and this is now gone for them 
Today, I am really, really excited. You know, I've gotten a chance to preach a couple times here at Grace Hill, and it is a privilege. And I was telling Justin a little bit before we got started, I was like, we were just talking about sermon prepping and things like that. And for some of you, you've probably never prepped a sermon before, but sometimes prepping for a sermon can be really, really hard work. It's always good work, but sometimes it's really hard work. And this week, as I got to prepare for this, I just shared with Justin, I was like, this week I am excited to preach. And I don't mean that, that it's not exciting to preach any other time, but, you know, if you're in the book of Job, it's like, hey, gird up your loins, God's about to say something really hard. It's like, boy, that's not always an exciting time to preach. But then there's other parts of God and his character and his nature where we are going to get a huge dose of encouragement. And I'm so thankful today that I get to hear from God's word a huge dose of encouragement. And so I'm excited for us together to sit under the word of God together, to be encouraged together by our God. So would you just pray for me real quick? Pray for me, but let's pray together as we open up the word today. God, I'm so thankful for these people. I'm thankful for the people that are able to be together in the room as we've sung incredible songs of worship and praise to you, declaring your goodness, declaring the reality of what Jesus has done for us, and to, to be thankful together in doing that. Father, I'm thankful for the gifts of people who have worked hard even before we gathered this morning, this afternoon, to be able to be in the very place we are. There was a lot of hard work put in today. I'm so thankful for your kindness to us and being able to have a time and a space now to sit and just listen to your word and to, to wrestle with it. But Lord, today I believe you want to encourage your people as you have encouraged me as I've sat and to study in your word. Lord, I believe you are calling out to us today to say, hear my words and be encouraged. And so Lord, I do. I just simply pray, would you encourage us today? Would you encourage us not just so our feelings and our emotions just feel good, but God, that in our depths of our souls, that Lord, we would be filled with your goodness and your power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be who you have made us to be in and through your son, Jesus. So Lord, that is a work only you can do, but we beg you, God, today to do that as we sit under your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I grew up as an anxious kid all the way up. I didn't know I was an anxious kid because by the time I was about 29 or 30, I was going to the doctor because I was like, man, I'm, I'm really stressed and something's happening to my body and I don't know why and I'm trying like a guy to grin and bear it, but things aren't right. And then I realized my mom was talking to me through some of the reality of my childhood and I was like, oh, I guess I've always been anxious and I just didn't know it. See, at the age of seven, I was in second grade, or eight, I don't know how old I was, but I was in second grade, and apparently we were in a history class, and somehow it got brought up that there is this thing called TB. Anybody know what that stands for? Not the medical people. Well, TB is a short way of saying tuberculosis. Now, at seven and eight, why would a seven and eight-year-old know the word tuberculosis? Well, apparently I did, my mom said, and I came home petrified that I had tuberculosis. So my mother, as a loving mom, sought to assuage my fears and tell me all the reasons why I probably didn't have tuberculosis, but nonetheless, I just was afraid. I was fearful. If you fast forward even just 20 years, 25 years after that, my firstborn child grew up and was born in Ethiopia, and my wife and I got a chance to go to the country of Ethiopia in 2010, and it was our 
most favorite place we have ever been on the entire planet for lots of reasons. But as we were in Addis picking up our son for the first time, we pick him up from the orphanage, we come home, and, well, we weren't home, we were in this transition home in Addis Ababa, and all of a sudden we start smelling something, and we think, was it a dirty bite diaper? We don't know. It's not a dirty diaper, everything looks great down there. We keep smelling this really awful thing, and come to find out, our little precious baby boy had a double ear infection, and for a first-time parent, we did not know what in the world to do. So we go back in Ethiopia to this place, and they're like, hey, I think something's wrong with our child. We think he's in pain, but we can't tell. She's like, oh, yeah, he has a double ear infection. Here's some antibiotics, and here's a syringe to get that out. Great. Everything's good, right? So we go, and I'm trying to sort through this syringe and the application and the medicine that he needs. And we're in Ethiopia, a third world country. No, nothing wrong with that country. It's just what it is. And I'm an American, and I'm an anxious kid. So as I am quickly running through this syringe, I did not realize that as I was opening this thing up, I stabbed myself in the thumb with a needle, and I did not realize why is there a needle on something for a baby? I didn't understand, but that's just how they did it. They were like, you know, you got to remove that first, but I had stabbed myself, and here as an anxious kid who was worried about tuberculosis at age seven, guess what I was worried about at age 29? Lots of different things. I was fearful. And guys, here's the thing. My fear, though irrational in some ways, right? And most of the people are going, yes, most of that was irrational. But my fear kept me from enjoying some precious moments. My fear paralyzed me in these moments of taking my attention away from what was really, really good, and it robbed me of a little bit of joy in those moments. And even as a second grader, I'm sure the same thing. Now, what I want to do is just look at this idea of fear today. Because fear is debilitating. And like some of the stories you just heard from me, it kept me from, like I said, experiencing some good things in the moment that I was actually in. And for all of us, whether you are irrationally fearful in some ways or not, fear is something we all wrestle with in some way, shape, or form. And see, this is what fear does. It either freezes us, it either causes us to fight, or it causes us to flight. Get away. And oftentimes, our fear can make us super trepidatious, right? Like, I don't know, should I, should I not? Maybe I'll do it just a little bit, but not fully, because what if, what if, what if? That's what fear does. And so the aim of our time today, as we sit in the Word of God, as we close out our series, If Jesus is Real, the last thing I want us to look at as we land the plane on this series is this. If Jesus is real, then fear withers. And works grow. Because everything is going to be okay. Everything. Now, some of you, maybe you don't know my name. My name is Evan, and you might be going, okay, hey, Evan, that sounds a little naive. That sounds a little tone deaf, buddy. Do you realize that there's a lot of unrest going on in our country right now? I, I do, I do. Do you realize that there's a lot of social unrest amidst our churches today? We've talked some about that as Grace Hill. Yes, yes, I know that. What about who is or isn't president? What about my cancer? 
What about my boss or my coworker who is just really, really nasty? And it's not causing me just professional challenges, but it's causing me personal challenges. What, what, what about that, Evan? Evan, what about my dreams and desires that I feel like are, 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 I'm losing them? My longings to use the gifts that I keep hearing you preach sometimes that I've been given and that people say I have. What, what about those that haven't worked out yet? What about my marriage that's just crumbling right now? And what about for a guy like me, crippling fear and anxiety today? What about fill in the blanks, right? I don't have a long enough time to fill in those blanks. I, 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 I hear you. I just want you to know that I, I hear you. And my hope today is, again, that God would encourage you and me. And so here's the deal. Last week we saw that transformation happens because we are supposed to fix our eyes on something. We're supposed to have our attention fixed on someone, and that is Jesus. And today, guess what? God wants to remind us as he encourages us that that encouragement is going to be doing a very, very similar thing. Where is our attention? And so, if Jesus is real, Grace Hill, I want you to picture this. This is what the Leonard Field said. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to listen to these words one more time. I want you to picture the fear that you have of this week, this fear that has been a cloud that's hung around you for your entire life. I want you to picture something that you are afraid of, and I want you to hear these words from God about your future in Christ. Close your eyes and listen to these. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride who was adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be them as their God. And friend, as your eyes are closed, listen to these words. Slowly take these in. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither, thou sh th neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Then open your eyes. That was written to encourage you. That was written to encourage me. That was written to remind you and I to hang in there today amidst whatever fear or fears that you have brought in with you today and that you may carry out into the world tomorrow. Everything will be okay. And so if Jesus is real, then the fears are going to wither and glorious works grow. And so I want us to look today in the word of God and see, well, where are you getting that from, Evan? Because that sounds great. Let's look. Turn in 
your Bibles, if you have them, to the book called 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we are going to look at verses 50 through 58 together today. See, God's aim through his word in this text is to give you a massive dose of hope. As we look at tomorrow and we remember what is ahead. See, this past week I got a huge amount of mulch delivered to my house. A lot of mulch came to my house. It came up in a dump truck, and the dump truck came and they had to stop and say, hey, please move all of your cars out. So we had to move all of our cars out. And then the dump truck did what it was supposed to do. It dropped a whole lot of mulch. And my kids watching this dump truck come, their eyes are up as the, the, the truck opens up on the back and all of this stuff fills half of our driveway, like a mountain of mulch. And you're like, what does this have to do with 1 Corinthians right now? And my kids started to jump on it. And we're like, no, no, don't jump on it. But they were, they were so excited because they had a mountain of mulch now that was going to be gone in a few days, hopefully. Stacy's still hoping I get the rest of it taken care of. But here's the deal today. In 1 Corinthians, what we are going to see is very similar. God's word is like a dump truck for you and I coming up to our driveways, and it is going to dump a whole bunch of hope. It's almost like a mountain of hope for you and I, that we can even stand on, and we can enjoy, and we can look at, and be reminded, hey, I have hope today in the midst of my fear. See, Paul's writing to a group of people who are really struggling. They're struggling to believe a lot of things, and he's waited till the very end of the chapter to address one of the most important challenges the church in Corinth was dealing with at that time. And they didn't, they were being challenged to believe that the resurrection was not true. So Paul's given this huge defense of why the resurrection is true. And I want us to take a look a little bit at the end of this chapter. And I want us to listen to this thing. This is where fears begin to wither. Fears wither for followers of Jesus because, as Paul writes, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed for this perishable body be, must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And here is a dose of hope for you. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your Verse 56 says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're struggling to believe that the resurrection of Jesus has any real impact on you, and that's why we've been looking over the past several weeks of if Jesus is real then. And perhaps you're in this room today, right now, and you're going, I, I don't know, Evan, I, I don't know if I believe in the resurrection. Well, I'm grateful for you here because as you consider the rest of this stuff, we're going to see that right away that Paul is going to say, if the resurrection is not true, then we have a lot to be pitied for those of us who do believe it. But if it is true, skeptic, it changes everything for you. 
Paul tells us that the resurrection is what our entrance into heaven and to be in God's presence hinges on. We are the flesh and blood that is mentioned in verse 50. And see, this isn't really good news for us yet. Because see, what he's saying is that you and I are human beings. And what do human beings do? I hope it's not a news flash for us. Human beings actually die. And Paul is writing, this is what you do. And the news is going to get worse before it gets better. And so Paul continues to say, listen, the perishable doesn't inherit the imperishable. That's a problem. So how do we inherit the kingdom of God? Well, if you jump to verse 57, you see that Paul is writing, thanks be to God. Paul's praising God. God is who gives us the victory. God is who lets us inherit the kingdom of God. We experience what we just read in Revelation 21 because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul is telling you at the very beginning of chapter 15, if you look back, Paul is writing, to become a follower of Jesus, you need to Understand that Jesus was a real person, that he lived, and that he died on the cross for sins, and that he rose again. And if you put your faith in that, then you, friend, today can have right relationship with God and know that all of the things we read are for you and ahead for you. So you realize you've sinned, you confess that, Jesus forgives you, and he raises you one day to life forever. So Check out verse 22 if you're looking in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul connects flesh and blood, you and me who die, to what? If we are in Christ, if we have put our faith, then we will be made alive. See, this resurrection changes everything. Now we're going to see something amazing because you know that since we're flesh and blood, we can't inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. So he says, in this moment, Paul writes, in a twinkling of an eye, Everything will change for you, and the dead will be raised imperishable. Then the saying will come to pass that what is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And I want us to slow down just for a second. I want us to do something very similar we did a minute ago. I want us to let the word of God sink in. I think sometimes in sermons we can run really quickly past a lot of things. If fears are going to wither, then we must believe that there's something greater ahead. And so I just want to ask a question right now as you're sitting here listening to this. Do you believe what Paul is telling us? That you're going to have a resurrected body. Do you believe that? Do you believe your body will be perfect just like Jesus in an instant, we will be free forever from the sin and suffering that has afflicted our bodies in this world. See, if I was trying to explain to you guys that I had just been to the Grand Canyon, would I want to try to show you a picture from my phone that was just like a very quick snapshot? Would I want to do that? I would not, because I couldn't explain, you couldn't capture what I was trying to show you, the magnificence and the beauty of the Grand Canyon. And so we have these things called iPhones, and you can turn them to panoramic view, right? And what does that do for us? It helps us see, like, the vista of what the Grand Canyon has. You can see out and all around, not just a little small section of it. You see the magnitude of what the Grand Canyon is, right? So you would be thankful. And Paul is doing that for us in this text. He's saying, look ahead. Look at this panoramic view that is ahead for each of us. 
Fear will wither if you can see what it is ahead of you. So I'm going to ask you this again with a little bit of imagination. Can you see it? Here's what I want to invite you to imagine. No more sickness or disease. Can you imagine that? No more racism. No more abortions. No more broken marriages. No more broken bones. Can you see that? No more jealousy. Grace Hill, no more striving. No more sexual assaults. No more murder. No more politics. No anxiety. Can you see that? No depression. No more war. No more death. Friends, Paul is saying, do you believe that day is coming? See, this isn't a cheap attempt at a pet talk today. Why I'm so encouraged to share this word with you is because this is the truth about God for you and for me. This is the reality. Fears can't help but wither when they are lived out of this belief and understanding of where we're going. Fears can't help but wither when we know what's ahead and where we are going. There's a terrible disease that I'm susceptible to, and maybe you are too. Sometimes it's called the fear of missing out, FOMO. We use it as a hashtag and an Instagram thing sometimes, right? FOMO. Look at this picture of this great place someone else was that I wasn't. And I would love to be there. I missed out. No one likes missing out. And there's a fear, right? Like, I'm not trying to just make light of that, but there is fear in this. But if we're honest, if we really look at our fears, we realize they cripple us. And Paul knows that fear is crippling. And he says that if no resurrection, then you better indulge in that fear of missing out. You better eat, drink, and be merry today because this is it. And Paul's imploring us as believers, no, 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 no. There's more. There is more. So fear withers when we realize we won't miss out on anything in Christ. We're here today carrying a lot of things. Some are heavier than others. And we can look at our jobs and our relationships and we can put so many expectations on them and they'll never be able to hold our deepest expectations and our deepest desires. And then what happens when we get disappointed? What happens? We get discontent. And isn't discontent a cancer? Doesn't discontent grow I can put my head down and not look up at the vista ahead that God has for me, and I can get all tied up in fear of what's going to happen to me today or tomorrow, and so can you. And I can start looking at my job, even as a pastor, and say, this is it. I've got to find it all here. Or we can look for our relationships and say, my wife or my future spouse, Lord willing, that's where it's going to be. And yet in our heads we know, but we still live for those things and put our hope and faith in that. 
And Paul wants us to recognize you are not going to be satisfied merely with just what we do or who you're with. Paul is pointing us to say, no, you're satisfied and fulfilled when you look at who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And when we look away, when our attention gets drawn out from our fears, they call us away to look at other things or look at the present moment. When our fears do that, guess what? Fears don't wither, fears grow. They don't stay neutral. They're like weeds. They get bigger and bigger and bigger. But we must look ahead at these views that the Word of God gives us or we're going to be prone to start compromising all over the place. We're going to be prone to the commands of sexual impurity and we're going, to, we're going to engage in sexual impurity because we think that's where hope is and fear that I might be missing out. And so I'm not going to trust God here because I look at what's ahead of me today and that looks better. So we keep our head down when we don't look ahead and then this deep fear that we'll miss out on things become far too strong for us and we give in. But we remember Revelation 24 when he says he'll wipe away every tear. God's word tells us that we have everything to look forward to. You miss nothing. And so this leads us to the second reason why we see this panoramic view that Paul is painting for us, that fears wither, and now what? Glorious works grow. Look at the very last verse that we're looking at today in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 58. And we will see why everything about our lives now matter in light of what our future holds. Verse 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The most treacherous journey for you and me is between the 18 inches here and here. And Paul knows that. And Paul is aiming right at that because he's saying big messes, big messes are going to happen when we let what we think is true get in the way what is actually true because we live out what we believe. And so Paul is imploring you and me to be steadfast and immovable. We live out what we believe. And so in Christ, we have to look that not only have we found that through his resurrection, we are given his grace, but his resurrection gives us the strength now to be steadfast for what he calls us to do. So what has he called us to do? What is our purpose, Grace Hill? What are we supposed to be steadfast and immovable in? Jesus in Luke, you don't need to go there, but he says this at the end of Luke 24. After he's appeared to his disciples, as he's resurrected body, he appears to them, and he says this, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. This is what the work of the Lord is. This is the purpose that the resurrection gives you and me. These are the glorious works that start to grow. So for you and me today, we have a glorious work to do. We are to proclaim to the nations the goodness of God. Yes, that sounds big and hard and maybe a little abstract. But what I love about this is this term, it's called ergon, this labor. It's not a specific thing. It's a very general thing. It's a task. It's, it's what we do. Where you are, do what God has called you to do. That is the very work he said, because you have been united with Christ, and therefore the hope that you bring to where you are at is what will last. How do you live out what you believe in light of 
your future resurrection. See, where you work is not primarily significant. It's what you do where you are at. What are you afraid of in your job? Is there fears that trap you in sharing the good news of Jesus? I know some of us work for the government. I did too, and it was hard. I felt fear all the time trying to share my faith in a government setting. I didn't always do it because I was afraid. I had moments where God gave me opportunities, and I believe you have them too, wherever you are, to share the good news of Jesus with those people. That is your purpose. That is your purpose. It's not just mine as a pastor. It's yours as followers of Jesus. That's what Jesus said. That's what we do. Proclaim to the nations. But what if you're at home? Is it any different? No. It's not any different. Where are you fearful and prone to look down at your circumstances of your job or where you find yourself tomorrow morning? Where are you fearful? Where are you fearful that God isn't really for you and that your future isn't secured? Where do you find those fearful moments? Where, where are you prone to look away from God based on your current situations? I know it looks different depending on all of us because we have the context. And I know that each of our contexts have so many different varying and complex hardships and challenges to them. I know that. God knows that life's going to be hard for you and me. He knows that. That's why Paul wrote that. He knows that the brokenness of the world is going to cause you and I to be prone to fear and to turn away from this work that he's called you and I to do. I want to close with this. I want to encourage you that as a church, we have seen fear wither and glorious works grow. This church has seen this happen before your very eyes, and you may not have even recognized it. I believe God wants us to be reminded as we look ahead to also look at what he's doing. Grace Hill, I have four things I want to encourage you with. We have seen people in this church go from death to life. This church has seen brothers and sisters come to faith in Jesus Christ through your relationships, through your love, through your care, through your commitment, through your giving. People's eternities have changed. That is glorious work. Don't let fear wither your resolve to continue to give sacrificially and to love sacrificially. Lives have literally changed, Grace Hill. Families in our community here in Herndon and abroad have been fed not just food, but have been fed hope. Relationships are beginning with these families who have literally nothing. These relationships are just starting, Grace Hill. And you are starting to step in to provide not merely just 
food on their table, but to remind them that they're not alone. Some of you have heard those stories straight from their mouths of saying, I felt forgotten, and now I feel like someone sees me. That's glorious work. That is gospel work. Don't let fear wither our longing and desires to step into those places. God is at work, Grace Hill. And I've heard of stories on Zoom of all places over the past three or four months of relationships and people's lives being encouraged and cared for by people committing one hour once a week to simply be on a screen and say, how are you doing? I've heard from your mouths how that has been life-giving. That is glorious work we are a part of to encourage each other daily in Christ. That is work you are doing. That is glorious work happening. Don't miss that. It can feel so subtle sometimes. And yet this is the thing God's saying, be steadfast and immovable. This is not in vain. What we are doing has eternal realities and consequences that we are experiencing in some measure today. And the last thing I want to say is this. I want to encourage you that glorious works are happening in our midst because people are bearing with one another in the midst of a divisive age that we are living in right now. That you are seeking to listen and understand other people's contexts, even if you disagree with them, and you're not leaving. You are doing that work, to love your brother and sister with the love that Christ has shown you. In an age where we are dividing like crazy, you are committing out of love for Christ and love for one another to stay in relationship with one another, even when you don't agree. That is glorious work. These are the things that Satan wants to bring fear back into play for you and I to keep those things from happening. Fear withers in light of the goodness of God and glorious works grow as we trust Him and know what's ahead for us. Would you pray with me? God, I pray. I know I've said a lot of things, but Lord, I pray more than anything that I've said that the words that you have given and allowed to be said and read and considered, God, would encourage us. Lord, fear is a formidable opponent. Fear is something we all wrestle with. Fear is something that will come with a phone call. Fear is something, Lord, that our enemy would love for us to wither under. And fear is what will snuff any sense of courage out in our lives. And God, I pray that as we have seen the reality of your resurrection, the reality of Jesus' gift of grace to us to follow him and to follow him together, God, that we would see glorious works continue to grow in our midst. 
God, I pray through your spirit today, uh, even as we respond in song in just a few moments, Lord, that the reality of glorious works that you have called us to are what we all get to be a part of together, using our gifts and varied abilities, God. Oh, help us to fight against the desire to just go and do our own thing, but Lord, to be reminded that we are yours in a body together. And to spur each other on to love and good works. To see more people come to faith in you, God. To see relationships healed. To see hurts listened to. To see needs met in our neighborhoods around us. And God, to see people going after each other even when they don't agree or even understand, God. God, we want more. God, we want more. We want to see you do more. We want to be, Lord, stewards of your grace. God, give us more that we might see more done in your name. And God, that that would encourage us and continue to give us more momentum to love sacrificially. God, give us more. Help us to see that the resurrection matters today and your kingdom, God. God, I beg you in my own life, help me to live out of that belief, God see the stunning realities that you have ahead for us and the work that you have, the blessings you want to give, God, your church, your people, who you love. God, give us more. Give us more, God. We want to see your glory. We want to be a part of that, God. We long, oh God, we long to see that together, our faithful.